Hello and welcome to another episode of ESPN Cricket Info Stump Mike. It's been about a month since the last podcast and a lot has happened in cricket since then. Uh, here to take us through most of it is Vishal Dikshit who ironically spent the last month detoxing from cricket. Did you not? <laughs> yeah, quite a bit. I was on a holiday while the most important tournament the World Cup qualifier was going on. The Ashes were going on and I watched some of it, not all. Couldn't enjoy all the seesaw sessions of the Ashes but I managed with the 2-3 I saw. Like unlike you, I haven't detoxed at all. Like I am almost drunk after uh, taking a sip from the spirit of cricket that England have produced. <laughs> uh, first things first, uh, India finally have a chief selector. Sid Monga, the man who ha- for two episodes straight was lamenting about the fact that the post was vacant for most of the year, finally has his wish come true. Ajit Agarkar, who has more test hundreds at Lords than Sachin Tendulkar, will be the chairman of the selectors. Vishal, what do we make of this? Yeah, Monga had been uh, shouting for mountaintops for it, not just for two of our episodes, but I don't know how many months and years, especially in our meetings or... He's not on social media, apparently, but whenever he would speak uh, in office meetings, this is one of the points he always brought up consistently or or in the pieces that he used to write about selections or the Indian Indian team. Firstly, I'm really happy that someone with a lot of international experience who has been in the T20 setup also in coaching capacity has come on as the chief selector. A few months ago, we saw that uh, Luke Wright, I think, was brought in as as a selector by England, who was so clued in into the game. And uh, it doesn't matter how it turns out eventually. A selector can turn out to be good or bad or just okay. That only time decides. But you have to uh, appoint a really good candidate who's clued into the game in all three formats. And Ajit Agarkar was with Delhi Capitals in the IPL recently just a few months ago so someone who is aware of what's happening all around him in the Indian cricket setup is there so hopefully good good signs to come for Indian cricket is it too early to judge how he's how he's going to be as a selector like his player track record really doesn't mean that he's going to turn out to be a great selector right he was a good all-rounder when he played for India and uh, it's not entirely uh, guaranteed that he's going to do really well as selector yeah, it's tough to draw a correlation between how someone was was as a player and will be as a selector or even as a coach. We've seen so many coaches going around who had no or minimal international experience but are really good coaches. Like one random example is Praveen Amre, who played only a few matches for India. And he is such a good coach. Whenever Indian batsmen go are dropped from the team or go out of form, they all go back to him, especially in the Mumbai circuit. And they all come back with some sort of runs or energy and technical changes to score runs again. So, how to draw a correlation, I'm not really sure. I'll just go back to my main point that he's been around the Indian team. He's been a commentator, of course, for, for quite a few years and an analyst and in the coaching staff. So, he's no, he knows what's going around. In I hope this brings in good things for Indian cricket eventually. It's it's just like one selector doesn't fix everything and like the larger issue of uh, bench strength that needs to be developed, like that's not going to get solved just uh, with say the World Cup squad announcements, right? It's a longer yeah. one-two-year projects as Sit Monga has ranted to us over the last two episodes. But uh, yeah, I think it's a good thing. But, uh, speaking of selectors, uh, India are currently in West Indies with a squad of fresh selections. Right, look at that. Like, it's a great segue. I have properly like written everything <laughs> down in like five minutes. Like the broad strokes are Pujara was dropped. Uh, yeah. Jaiswal and Gaikwad will be playing tests. Uh, Mukesh Kumar has been brought in and uh, Umesh Yadav has been dropped. Right, And as we speak, the first test is going on. It's uh, yeah. like Jaiswal has scored 100. You have Kohli, you have Rohit, you have uh, Rahani who has come back as vice captain. You have Jadeja, you have Ashwin. Like, is it really in transition just because we have a new number three? A lot of these players may not be around purely because age, the World Cup will be done. So let's randomly let me just throw the age of Rohit Sharma 36, Rane 35, uh, Kohli 34, Ashwin 36, and Jadeja also 34. The spinners will probably continue, most probably. They're not the bodies are not going to break down either. And Rahane is just coming back. And that is also because Shreya Sayer is injured and his backup was Rajat Patidar, who was also injured when the WTC squad 
final squad was going to be announced. Rishabh Pant will also come back, by the way. Hopefully soon, fingers crossed. And Rishabh Pant's uh, best format these days is tests, not T20 or ODIs. So there's going to be a lot of inexperience in the squad. And even if two of these players, like Rohit, Rahane, and uh, Pujara has already gone and Kohli are gone, it'll look like what the Indian bowling attack looks like on the West Indies tour right now. Siraj is the leader of the attack. And yeah, Shami is rested. But again, Bumrah, you have, we, nobody knows right now in what capacity he's going to come back, when he's going to come back, what kind of a bowler he's going to be, how much workload. Who knows, he might have to give up a format soon because of the stress fracture that has plagued him since forever, I think now. So it's definitely a team in transition, which I think is going to reflect in the performances also. Yeah, I think the bowling itself is going to be the biggest challenge here because, uh, like you mentioned, right, uh, the batters like Rohit Sharma, uh, Virat Kohli, Rahane, like I think there is longevity there. They might be older now, sure, but uh, over two, three years, sure, I think they can still play. Whereas there's a severe lack of bowling resources at the moment. And sure, you have the biggest talking point o- over the last month was the fact that Pujara has been dropped and... Uh, like a couple of days ago, Rohit Sharma announced that Gil will be at number three, which is a great move by Gil. I feel like there's a, two new openers have slotted into the squad, and Gil has noticed that there's a vacancy at three, so might as well go to a position that nobody's competing yeah. in, right? He went to Rahul Dravid and said, "I want to bat at three. And like, I don't think Dravid will ever say no to somebody wanting to bat at three. So yeah, it's the bowling that's going to be a problem going forward, and I don't know who the bowling bowlers are. Okay, Siraj is leading the attack now. Unadkat has come back. It still took spinners taking wickets and uh, Sardul Thakur randomly bowling one random Jaffa and him taking a wicket. Like it was still a spin-dominated uh, wickets column for India in the first test. So far, at least. Uh, I, who are the new bowlers, if I can ask you that? Because I have no idea where they're going to come from. One thing, important thing in India's uh, calendar is that at the end of this year, they're going to South Africa, which is going to count to WTC points, obviously. At the end of next year, they're going to Australia for five tests. So that's two really tough tours for which you will need really good fast bowlers. And obviously, if India make the WTC final again, that will be that's going to be played in England, obviously. So you would need to have a really good pace attack in the next couple of years. So on this tour, at least, I don't know if we'll get to see Mukesh Kumar making a debut, but I'm really interested in... I'm really... I was going to say anxious because we are not going to have great... We don't have great bowling resources right now. So how Mukesh Kumar does is something I'm really looking forward to. He is known for his uh, deviation off the pitch. He's helped Bengal to what? Uh, two Ranji finals in the last five years. He's played for India A. So the next step clearly is making an India debut for, uh, for Mukesh Kumar. That is one bowler as a fan I'm going to bank on. And uh, hopefully, Shami is going to continue. After the World Cup, uh, who knows, he also prioritizes formats and they will be inclined to play more test matches. So, if Shami is leading the pace attack in the long run, not just like how Siraj is doing on this tour, then Shami has one, Siraj has two, Bumrah in some capacity, let's leave him aside. At least those two are there and we need a really good third fast bowler. Whether it's Unadkat or Mukesh or even Navdeep Saini is there on this tour. I don't know again if he'll get a game. It's just a two-test series in the West Indies. What I'm scared about is India may not have that really sharp match winner. You know, who can turn the match around in a session with a spell. Even You don't have to take five wickets. But even those, those quick two, three wickets, which Shami does, which Bumrah has done for India for so long. Can India produce that kind of a bowler? That, I think, will be the key for them, especially for these two tours, South Africa and Australia. I have a question there. Is the like the way the FTP is set up, right, where you only play two or three tests against uh, like your South, Af- your South Africa's or Sri Lanka's and you end up playing the bigger games against Australia. Like, so you don't get the chance to try out or test out the depth in your seam attack or in your bowling attack as a result. Like, it's not an easy thing for someone like an Agarkar or someone to come in and like figure out how to try out all these uh, new bowlers like you mentioned because there's not enough time. 
uh, to test them out in this format like how would you try and like i don't i don't know how you can even try and fix that going forward like you can't complain to the icc saying change the ftp up or something like it's there's lots of scheduling issues this has been put together after a lot of effort i i, I don't know how we, we can test everybody out before australia next year before australia at least there's time if you were going to say how do we figure out before south africa it, there's no time also the ranji season is starting late i think this time december end or maybe in january so for south africa there's actually no time to you know bring up fast bowlers to groom fast bowl young fast bowlers and also because right now everybody's focus is on the odi world cup so once that gets over in november i don't want that kind of a situation that okay now we're thinking about south africa which we had not really planned for that much so one thing to answer your question is obviously ranji trophy how you groom those fast bowlers and it comes back to that point that monga was making in the last episode that when you plan for the wtc final you also have to make those kind of pitches in india so that your fast bowlers get that kind of exposure and those uh, conditions to bowl in to get used to those so that you know what length to bowl on what lines to bowl on which india did not get right in the wtc final this time so ranji trophy and the second is a tours we saw a lot of shadow tours before the pandemic when in the indian senior team used to go to new zealand or australia and england just before that an a squad used to go which used to have sometimes players like uh, uh, rahane also once in a while who had just been left out of the squad or were not getting as many runs in the test circuit some here and there and they would play those those teams in those conditions get some runs back and the younger ones would also get some exposure and you could clearly see some selectors also go on those tours and they can identify there who are the next crop of your fast bowlers or players whether it's fast bowlers batsmen spinners it sounds like it's not going to be easy but it's doable definitely doable and like i hope uh, when we do discuss this over, uh, over a period of time like hopefully we have a good uh, attack for south africa right uh, like i'm i'm trying to figure out a good way to segue from here into the bangladesh yeah. series right because there are two major talking points that happened with bangladesh uh, the first <laughs> one is the women's team were denied a clean sweep like they won the series 2-1 uh, there were a bunch of scares along the way and uh, yeah i happened to watch the second match uh, in the office right and i just wanted to ask what was up that live stream right how did you watch the match because i couldn't watch anything <laughs> Yeah, like, like there were frame rate issues, like random camera angles, the wrong replay being shown for the wrong appeal, like the highlights package was weirdly put together. Yesterday, in fact, when I was in office, when the third T20 I was going on, and uh, Sudarshan and who sits next to me was doing commentary. When the chase started, you could only hear the audio of the commentary. So two overs went by, and then three or four overs went by, and you could just see the color bar. You know how in on Doordarshan some twenty years ago. When you switch on the TV, first you would see those vertical colors. I don't know, maybe sure. And then <laughs> <laughs> the oldies listening to this podcast will probably relate to this. That when you used to switch on the TV earlier, there would be those vertical color, different colors, color bar. That was appearing on the live stream on the YouTube stream yesterday. You could not watch the match, the first three four overs of the chase. It happened in the middle also. You could just hear commentary. So. With I would prefer watching the match with glitches than not watching the match, and I guess the quality of the broadcast also somewhere reflected in the quality of cricket also because the pitches were not rank turners or you know turning square, and still India batted first in the second and third T Twenty I when I was watching, and India were not able to score runs. The same Indian team which does so well in. alien conditions in england and australia and i don't know where bangladesh conditions are obviously more familiar supposed to be more familiar for indian players but they were not able to score runs and that also played a part in then losing the third match yeah but uh, i i i still feel they did the job so it doesn't uh, matter how the job got done right uh, you even if you're, if you're, they, i think they defended what 98 in the second match Yeah. Yeah. Right. Eight runs or something. Yeah. It's a it's a big deal. Like the fact, and we had uh, I think there's one over of pace and 19 overs of spin. Like somehow quickly, Harman Harman P just adapted 
and like put just just it was just spinners bowling back to back we saw jemima bowl which i had never seen before yeah just, she was also bowling, <laughs> yeah. yeah compared to the highs of the world cup where everything is crystal clear and well produced this is shoddy but it's good india managed to beat them to one but staying in bangladesh right coming to one of the biggest stories of the week so far we wanted to call this tamim's tamasha and uh, it's not really tamasha right like i i i don't know where to Uh, start to wrap my head around what happened like it is like we know the bcb works in mysterious ways and like the past week just pushed it to like 11 out of 10 right for uh, those of you who don't know tamim iqbal the skipper of bangladesh one of the most successful odi players in the middle of an odi series against afghanistan in a world cup year which is a few years away all those caveats are needed he announced his international retirement right in the like, middle of the series he, yeah between two yeah, odis like between two odis right and uh, like he's supposed to lead the team to a world cup in october he put together a presser bid goodbye and just left and like if that wasn't enough a day later he announced that he has rescinded his retirement after the intervention of uh, the pm of bangladesh sheikh hasina which is the third instance of a pm invo- getting involved in cricket by the way we already seen that in the ashes only third or oh, yeah. recent like I thought in the history. No, no, no. Game. This is the third in this month, right? Oh, wow. So, uh, I do not know how to describe what had happened. How to so, say anything uh, about it? Yeah, I mean, how do you uh, how do you go about? Like, we, we had put together, let's say, graphics for the website, and uh, the so- social media was set up to celebrate Tami Mikbal's career, and every, everything was properly set up after the announcement. And then uh, Isam, who was reporting from Bangladesh, the announces that, "Acha, by the way, it looks like it's going to be turned." around and uh, he was giving us updates on the group yeah, almost like ball by ball updates were happening even though he was not there obviously nobody could be there in the pm yeah. house i think mashrafe or somebody was messaging some reporter and the word was going around still people were fluding before the week that <laughs> i had so like i had spoken to isam about this and uh, here is what he had to say this is uh, mohammed isam from espn cricket for describing the madness that unfolded over two days in bangladesh cricket so isam uh, welcome to espn cricket post ampike if we have to start at the very beginning to quote the sound of music where do we begin so that we can start to understand the whole tamim iqbal retirement saga uh, for that we have to go back uh, like like a week or so before the first odi which was on july the 5th so we go back a week when the bangladesh team started their training camp for the uh, afghanistan odis um there one of the earlier days tamim pulled a, a muscle on his back we move forward to july the 4th which is uh preview day uh from from you know what media people call it so tamim was asked how he felt because of his back injury and he said he's not 100% fit but he's going to try and see what happens in the match and uh, he'll take a call after that the other context is that this is a series which is the last sort of series before the big big ones you know the asia cup and the world cup so bangladesh has a have a have a bit of a break before those two tournaments so this is the last series where you know there was a lot of talk of experimentation uh, around the batting lineup and bowling attack so this feeling was that you know afghanistan are here but bangladesh was continue to um, try and see other combinations so one of them was if tamim got injured they'll try another opener so they had a couple of other guys in the team uh, to try out so when tamim said that it was quite innocuous and later in the press conference um, he spoke about how Uh, he's not going to hurt the team's chances by playing with an injury he'll just see what it is and then the medical team will take a call if it's safe for him to play the second game so that was it uh, that evening apparently uh, mr nazbul hasan uh, his nickname is papon he gave an interview to a newspaper called uh, pratidiner bangladesh saying that he's pissed at tamim he's really mad at him what is what is he said in the press conference everyone is mad at him the the coach chandik athro singh apparently screaming at papon on the phone uh, it was quite a slamming you know on in, in in the media and he blasted tamim saying that he's unprofessional he doesn't know whether he's playing street cricket or he's playing international cricket so tamim is the bad guy here so nazbul hasan just to clarify here is the chief of the bcb right the board that controls cricket in bangladesh 
BCP chief actually comes out in the media almost every day to say something to someone. So the next morning, the, the newspaper publishes that report. It goes online at 9 o'clock in the morning. We don't know whether Tamim has read it by then. We just know that the match is from 2, 2 o'clock. Tamim goes out, gets out for 9 or 13. I think he scored 13. And then Bangladesh lose the game. So we all get back to the hotel after the game, like us journalists, and we have finished our pieces for the night. So it's around after midnight when I get a call from a very senior reporter who's also traveling in Chittagong at that time. He tells me that there's a press conference tomorrow at 12. I said, why is a press conference? He said, well, Tamim has told me to tell everyone, so I'm telling you. So I text Tamim and Tamim says, just turn up, just come to the press conference and I'll tell you there. And I said, why, what happened? And he said, I can't tell you now, I'll tell you in the press conference. Wow, that just sounds ominous. Yeah, it sounds ominous. And also you have this feeling that something's not, not right because a press conference in the, after the first match by the team captain and Tamim is organizing it. And that's where it, everyone got a bit nervous that why is he organizing it? So obviously when journalists knew, the news um, spread out to the cricket board where everyone tried calling Tamim. And later we found out, like, I was awake till 4 o'clock trying to figure out what's going on. And so was the cricket board. And apparently Tamim was also up all night thinking about what he's going to do or, you know, everything else. I wake up the next morning. I'm hoping that this thing goes away. But no, it's uh, the, the press conference now gets delayed to 1.30 in the afternoon. So a one and a half hour delay. So we gather at that hotel. And that's, that hotel is also where many journalists stay when they come to Chittagong. So uh, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a hotel owned by Tamim's friend. Tamim is from Chittagong. So where the announcement was, was made, that is his neighborhood. We go to that press, that, that hall room. It's jam-packed with journalists. Um, I have some photos of it. And uh, Tamim walks in at 1.20, not even at 1.30. Sits down, you know, it takes a bit of time to calm everyone down. And then San Tamim uh, looks at me. I was standing on his right but behind him because there was no space anywhere else. And he looked up at me and he tried to say hi. Or he was telling me why aren't they calming down. And his eyes were all red, bloodshot. And you could tell that it was, it was going to be so big. And then he did announce his retirement. It, it lasted about 15 minutes, but it felt like an eternity. And he took a lot of time, you know, gathering himself. When he mentioned his dad, when he mentioned his childhood coach, he broke down a couple of times. And it, it was mostly sobbing through the whole uh, statement. And it was quite, quite, you know, sad to see him in this way. I mean, it's, it's rare, very rare to see sports persons of this caliber, you know, break down emotionally in front of the camera. And there are like a few hundred cameras there. I try to figure out what is going on. This is crazy, even for Bangladesh standards. But it's clear that Tamim uh, read what the president has said about him in that interview. I think it was the last straw for him because he had endured a lot. That trigger point was that interview where he was slammed for not being professional about his injury. So this must have come as quite a shock, right? Like when Bangladesh's captain announces his retirement in the World Cup here, uh, so, how was the team dealing with this? Uh, I believe Ritan Das was announced to be the captain of the side. So, what happened right after Tamim's uh, announcement? And uh, how did the PM of Bangladesh get involved in all of this? And I believe that Masref Murtaza has a role to play here somewhere. This one really, I mean, it, it came as a huge surprise. And then we, we, we move into... The evening, when I'm making a lot of frantic phone calls all over, you know, Bangladesh cricket, everyone trying to get a get a get a grab on things, and then I get a call from a TV reporter who tells me that the prime minister wants to meet him. So I checked with a few other people, and they said, no, 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 this is not this is not true. Probably, you know, I think we should wait. Next day, uh, Bangladesh has that you know, Bangladesh have the training at at at, at the Zahur Ahmed Chaudhary Stadium. I go there early just to check up on things like you know what what the reactions are in the press conference you know Litton Das has this really unhinged press conference where every Tamil Iqbal question is met with a really you know strong response from him I'm not gonna answer this question why aren't you why are you asking me about him you know what if he he's injured you know we would not miss him it sounded a little <laughs> condescending to me and then I I should also mention you that there was a board meeting on that previous night, on the night of his retirement. And um, 
And uh, there the board president said that we still consider him as the captain. I think that's because the board president knew that <laughs> the prime minister was, was going to come and meet Tamim. So I think he had that confidence from there. For some reason, we are waiting. I'm writing my pieces up, trying to finish it quickly. This is Friday afternoon, and then obviously the news comes that Tamim is on his way to the prime minister's residence in Dhaka. Apparently the story is that the PM had called uh, the board president Nazmul Hassan Papon, but he said that Tamim isn't uh, reachable. So then the PM decided that uh, Mashafi is someone very close to Tamim, and Mashafi is a, is a member of parliament. And you know the PM got in touch with Mashafi, and Mashafi told Tamim that the PM is looking for you. Why don't you come and meet her tomorrow? For Tamim, Mashafi Murtaza is massive. You know he's he's been so influential for him throughout his career. So it was quite natural for Tamim to respond to Mashafi than the than anyone else. Anyways, we wait for a couple of hours, actually three hours, and there. You know, news comes out. He comes out and gives a statement that he has, you know, gone back. He's withdrawn his retirement, and he says that it's, it has come from the most important person in the country. I cannot say no to her. I could have said no to anyone. Then the board president, Mr. Papon, comes out and says that um, we welcome him back. You know, he was always our captain. You know, what can we do without a captain? Then Tamim also adds that he, he got a, a, a break of a month and a half to recuperate from his back injury and any other things that he's suffering from. Do you think the Leighton statement was pretty weird in the grand scheme of things, given how everyone is still grappling with Tamim's retirement? And uh, what has this thing done now to Bangladesh cricket? Like, are we back to where we started? Is there more pressure? Is there less pressure? Like, how do you sum it up for all of us? He has every right to uh, move on from the Tamim episode at that time, but... I felt that, you know, it was too soon for him to say that, just forget about it. I mean, no one forgot about it. His his teammates were apparently all talking about it. They were all shocked. And, um, I mean, you, you can come out in the media and say any sort of thing with bravado, but, you know, it would have been easier for him or us to digest if he had just come out and, and given Tamim a sort of a tribute, even two, three sentences, and then just said, guys, look, this is what I think about him, but I think because he's moved on, we should also move on. It could have been one or two sentences. He didn't need to go into the fact that I am Leighton Dash, you know, or is this a Leighton Dash press conference or she should get the board president or the coach to talk about it. Of course, the board president and the coach are, were responsible for the whole situation, but he didn't necessarily have to bring that up in the press conference, I felt. Bangladesh was in a very quiet sort of zone where they beat Ireland, where they beat England in the T20 series, and it was on the up. There was a quiet confidence. Now this has to be a loud confidence. Now, whatever the fans think doesn't matter. Now the whole country, even those who are not fans of Bangladesh cricket, they're going to say, okay, let's see what this team does. It goes through too much drama. This drama was very much avoidable. It could have been fixed with one five-minute phone call. See, they've lost the series quite badly. So there's an Asia Cup, there's a New Zealand ODI series, and then there's the World Cup. So... You're talking about about 15, 20 matches when every match will be under everyone's scanner and it'll be under huge pressure. All the matches will be, you know, in a competitive sort of situation. And there you have Tamim coming back. And then you have a team that is that was doing well with certain gaps. When it, when it rains, you know, it pours. So Bangladesh suddenly have a few things that are now exposed. They could have carried to the Asia Cup. I mean, I'm not saying they could have hid a lot of things. They couldn't hide everything. But it was, you know, we don't talk about it sometimes because other things are going well. You don't focus on, you know, some difficulties. We ask questions in a press conference, but now it is far too exposed. I mean, I kind of have this feeling that, you know, there aren't enough uh, in their tank now, or, or they ho I hope they do, like they need enough on their tank, they enough energy, enough physical and mental energy to deal with 20 other things because I'm sure um, whatever Bangladesh cricket you follow, you've seen that there's, you know, there's a nice, nice balance of cricket and drama or cricket and a soap opera running. That is the scary part for Bangladesh, that that whole dramatic part is now going to raise its ugly head again in the next couple of months. Like, there are two, three comparisons that are coming to mind here. Uh, did um, uh, Tamim Iqbal think he was Michael Jordan? Like, Michael Jordan also 
very famously announced his retirement from everything and he decided to go play baseball i watched that documentary on netflix uh, that's how i that's the only reason i know about it but what was the period for which he was retired michael jordan that's a thing he he was out for about a year that's a it. year so that sounds like a retirement decision thought out even if it was impulsive he did he think uh, he was michael jordan that's one question you should ask uh, isam in the next episode I wonder if Tamim will get the same looks when he returns after his what six-week break, especially from Leighton Leighton Das. <laughs> yeah, like Leighton Leighton Das like overplayed his hand here. Like there was something wrong with the tone with which he was trying to talk about Tamim, where uh, it was he was assigned captaincy, and uh, people are asking questions about Tamim there because you will like Tamim is a big player, the biggest right now, and I mean since he is the captain also, but there is also Shakib of course. Yeah, so like after Shaki, it's Tamim, right? Yeah. And uh, like there is a certain tone you need when you're when you're talking about this. You can very easily say that yes, Tamim is respected, and I respect his decision. But like we need to talk about the game, and like apparently he just hushed up reporters. He just said straight up, like no, why ask him about it? Why are you asking me? And he said something about this making it his team, and yeah. So like, was this a ploy by Tamim to weed out <laughs> other people with captaincy ambitions? The vice captain. Yeah. <laughs> Because because like it's a fairly successful team, right? Uh, uh, like Afghanistan now have gone on to win in Bangladesh, which is yeah. uh, very rare for an away team to do in Bangladesh. Yes, right? India struggled there. India, South Africa, all these teams. Yeah, England are the only team that have pulled it off. Yeah. Right in in the last like maybe a decade or so, and in the middle of all this fracas, you have Afghanistan coming in like they were a team in the 2019 World Cup that. uh they weren't dysfunctional but they you could tell that the 50 over game is something they are still trying to wrap their heads around yeah yeah true right and uh now they are coming in with solid plans uh they have won in in bangladesh in like which is something that never happens and now this bangladesh team looks in complete disarray and since those you know things were going on uh, off the field between the bcd chief what they were saying in the press about the captain what the meme was saying After that, if you retire, obviously you're not going to get convinced by the board chief, right? No matter who it is, even if it's a politician, like we often see in India, prime minister is such a different stature that only that kind of a person can really convince you or tell you to do something different, whether World Cup year or not. Once you've had that kind of animosity with the board chief, nobody else can convince you. It it, it also reads across like you know that whole this whole meeting could have been an email type, like this whole thing could have been handled internally, man. <laughs> There's a lot of time. Who knows? It could actually, you know, I'm just thinking in the different direction that there will be pressure on him, of course. But who knows? This might even take a lot of pressure off him because he'll be like, "Ab mujhe kuch nahi karna hai." Now I just have to go there and I'll bat and try to make the team win. If it doesn't happen, it's because all these things have been going on behind the scenes. I've been troubled by the board. This has happened. That has happened. So he might take it easy. Who knows? So Bangladesh are definitely going to be playing in the World Cup. At least that is for certain, right? But we did not we did not know who were the other teams that are going to play them. And uh, that mystery was solved last Sunday when uh, Sri Lanka were the first team to qualify. They were completely clinical. They won every single game of the World Cup qualifiers. Uh, the second team, which everybody expected to be West Indies, turned out to be Netherlands, who will be the other team that are coming in. The fall of West Indies. Uh, which has been taking place since say the 2019 world cup right is something that is being documented but it's hard to understand and uh, you and i vishal had uh, spoken to firdaus about her firstly she was at the game so she uh, watched uh, the atmosphere unfold first hand and secondly she said like lots of insights on where west indies is headed and where cricket as a whole is headed especially with odis and associate countries associate nations yeah she also did commentary in the in the world cup qualifier so so here uh, it's vishal and i talking to firdaus as she explains to us everything that happened at the cricket world cup qualifiers along with trying to understand what's happened to west indies and how do they go forward from here So speaking of Zimbabwe we'll talk about their their performance first what was it like to be back in Zimbabwe after so many years and sadly to see the hosts bow out for the second time in a row 
it was it was great to be back and i think the thing that was clear to to observe was that the the cricket fan base has really changed enormously over the last 10 years so you know towards the the start of zimbabwe's test comeback which was 2011 and they they played a lot of test cricket in the two years after that the fan base was small and it was largely white now that their focus is really the one day game the fan base is enormous and the demographic has completely changed so cricket has become the people's game it's black people in the stands filling the stands i've never seen crowds like that in zimbabwe before for the match against west indies there were about 12000 people at harare sports club which only holds about 10000 and 6000 people outside in the fan park scrambling to get in wanting to watch the game so that's been amazing to see and part of the reason for that is that uh, zimbabwe's football team are suspended so they're not playing and football's obviously a huge game across all of africa so without football cricket has become really the darling sport of the nation and of course they rode that wave you know at Harare Sports Club Zimbabwe won 4 out of 4 and i thought oh when they go to Bulawayo i'm not sure because Bulawayo's conditions are very different i don't know if you saw but really spin friendly it's where Hasaranga was taking all those wickets all the time and i just thought oh i'm not really sure how they're going to cope with that and they were pushed by Oman it was a very close game then they lost really badly to Sri Lanka and to be fair everybody lost really badly to Sri Lanka they were clinical throughout and that Scotland game i mean Zimbabwe only have themselves to blame they had Scotland 170 for 7 they let them get to 235 and even though they got to 235 235 is chaseable and then Sikandar Raza who had been magnificent through the tournament he played a rash shot Sean Williams didn't come off there wasn't much from the rest of the batting and really the devastation across the country because they thought we're going to the world cup and it's massive for them they missed out in 2019 then they got to the super 12s at the 2022 t20 world cup i feel really sorry for them but at the same time the next 50 over world cup 2027 will be co-hosted south africa zimbabwe and namibia and uh, by then maybe those lights that we've been talking about for 15 years will finally go up at harare sports club we'll have night cricket in zim and I think they'll be a force to be reckoned with if they can find the depth. So I was heartbroken, to be honest. Like, I really wanted to see two African teams at a World Cup. But um, the Dutch will be a good second prize. I mean, they were our colonizers 300 years ago, so we'll take it. And I think that they're, they're a feisty little team. They, they'll put up a good fight. So Zimbabwe, you know, Sikandar Raza, like you said, kind of made everybody believe, even outside Zimbabwe, that this is their chance to qualify. And you spoke of the next World Cup. Sikandar Raza is 37. I think Craig Irvine is also 37. So what do you make of the next yeah. World Cup, which will be played at home, but probably without these two key players? I think Raza will keep going. He is a bit like an Imran Tahir, right? He's going to be 45-ish and still playing. And he seems to be in good nick. He takes really good care of himself. He had that health scare that we reported on extensively. It was a bone marrow scare where he remodeled his action so that he now holds his arm behind the back like Sunil Narayan. Uh, I think he may keep going. Irvine, I'm not sure. He said he wants to keep going and he was quite bullish about it. Sean Williams is the other player who's 36 and uh, he doesn't sound like he will keep going. He said as an all-rounder, you know, doing all the skills, batting, bowling, he's also really a gun fielder. He doesn't know if he's got another four years left in him. He wants to play the T20 World Cup next year. I have a feeling if Zim don't play a lot, which is sadly the, the way that the FTP is scheduled, you know, they don't have a huge number of fixtures. Maybe... Sean Williams will stay. But I think that's the challenge. As you mentioned, you know, you've got players in their mid-30s, late-30s. So you're wanting to find guys. Joy Lord Gumby is one example, the opening batter, who can come in and who can perform well. And Gumby had a, a tough time, but I think he's very talented. So if Zim can unearth some players, and really the way that cricket caught fire in these three weeks, there are kids who want to play cricket in Zimbabwe now, that's for sure. So I think they'll they'll have a good side in 2027. I don't know if Davey Houchard will still be the coach because you talk about age. He'll be 70 then. So, uh, you know, whether he'll keep going, I don't know. But he's an inspirational figure. And I think if they can keep somebody like him in the system, then we've got a good chance in 2027 of having a great Zimbabwean team. Maybe great is too strong a word. A really good Zimbabwean team. The phrase goes like the vibes were immaculate. At least when I was... Uh, following the scorecards I mean I watched a couple of games uh, it just felt like it was like a proper celebration and then even after the tournament I think Andy Flash said that like there's lots to build on like I, I don't remember this happening in 2018 where the people were actually like gutted that didn't make it whereas like this time around it feels like there's a lot more positivity around the Zimbabwe team 
Oh, absolutely. I think I think there really is. I think that there's a sense that they're playing good cricket, and they are. You know, their style of cricket. I wouldn't go as far as calling it baseball, but it's definitely more fearless than it has been. Because I think what you would have seen with Zimbabwean teams in the past is that they tended to play quite a conservative brand of cricket. Now they're batting with a lot more freedom. Uh, they've got a really good bowling attack. Richard Ngarava, I think, is fabulous through the tournament. He was their highest wicket taker. Blessing Muzarabani, you know, he's tall, he gets good bounce. Then they've got uh, Tendai Chitara, very experienced, good seam bowler, and a, a whole host of spinners. So they've got all the ingredients. There's a lot to work with there. And they just need to find, first of all, regular fixtures. But that's not exclusive to Zimbabwe. As you know, if Netherlands hadn't qualified for the World Cup, they wouldn't have a fixture until February of 2024. They're not playing the T20 World Cup qualifiers because they finished fourth in their group at the last T20 World Cup, so they automatically qualify for the next one, so they don't have that competition either. And they have no bilateral fixtures at all, which is really worrying. Scotland, they'll play the T20 World Cup qualifier, no bilateral fixtures after that. So I think the real challenge is to get these countries to play, and really I'd like to see the 10 we saw at the qualifiers, maybe Sri Lanka and West Indies are in a slightly different tier, so maybe the eight others with teams like Namibia, for example, playing each other and playing each other regularly and getting game time, getting competitive. I mean, that's the challenge, right? In a world of leagues, how do you how do you fit everything in? I think one thing the older Zimbabwe players can learn from the Asian players is announce their retirement and then come back quickly after that. <laughs> that that's a maybe Sikandaraz is going to do that, right? I mean, what was Tami Mikbal? Twenty four hours, not even. At most, maybe. <laughs> That way you also get to meet the Prime Minister or President of the country and then come back and play the next World Cup. Well, Zimbabwe already met the President of their country. He was there at the opening ceremony and his uh, state house is next to Harare Sports Club. So he's got a helicopter which flies really low past the sports club, almost just over the trees, and it creates an almighty racket. And uh, we saw him coming and going. We didn't see him, we saw the helicopter. I'm sure he was in there unless it was a decoy several times during the tournament. So he's definitely around and interested. No, like I wanted to take, take it to Netherlands after this. Like there's not much to be said about Sri Lanka per se because they were just clinical, right? And miles ahead from everybody else. So there's not much to dissect there. The only other, only two other talking points for me are Netherlands and West Indies, right? So the first thing just to like talk about Netherlands here. I uh, Can you consider them underdogs now? Like they have taken a big chunk of the bigger teams for a while. And they have been very competitive every time they played. I mean, I think the thing was that they were missing so many players. So basically, their whole first-choice attack was uh, not available because of county commitments. And that's going to be a big challenge for them when it comes to selecting their World Cup squad because you've now got a group of players that qualified for the World Cup. I don't know what you say to these guys. You know, they're, they're the ones who did the job. And then you've got seven or eight outside of the squad who will probably consider that their places are secure. Someone like a Rulof van der Mava, for example. Tim van der Gutten. You know, are you going to bring them back? Are you going to make a mix and match? So that's really their challenge for the next couple of months, 90 days, I believe it is, before their first game. But in terms of how they did at the tournament, you know, it was that West Indies game. And I was at that game where West Indies scored 374. Everybody thought it would be an early afternoon. And Netherlands just ran West Indies ragged. The twos that they ran in that game, they would sprint the first one. Before you knew what was happening, they were crossing for the second that's really impressive running. The West Indies fielders were not great at the best of times. And there, they looked really under pressure. The, the misfields were happening all the time. I couldn't believe it when they scored 374 and it went down to the super over. The other thing I couldn't believe is West Indies choosing to bowl Jason Holder in the super over to Logan Radbeek with the leg side boundary on the short side. It was 59 meters. This guy was in amazing form. He whacked every ball like he was seeing it like a watermelon. And it just seemed like a tactical blunder that West Indies are going to look back on and wonder what on earth happened. When we asked Darren Sammy afterwards who made that decision, he said, I'm not going to comment on that, but I trust the captain's decisions, which says to me that Shea Hope made the decision. And it was absolutely the wrong decision. So I think that game gave Netherlands a real belief. And then the way that they chased down their score against Scotland inside 44 overs, that's what helped them to qualify. Logan Van Beek has become kind of like a superhero, right? He, he's done all sorts of amazing things. And Bastelader, whose father, Tim, and whose grandfather also played for the Netherlands. So it's like a generational thing there. He's a really good player. He plays at Durham. He's got lots of county experience. He's got every kind of aspect to his game. Great batter, good bowler, good in the field. So they've got a really good side. 
having watched them in the final against Sri Lanka and it was not really a game that, that didn't mean anything, um, I did worry. I did think, like, I wonder if on bigger grounds with flatter pitches, because I think the flatter pitches actually make the difference between the elite teams and the not-so-elite teams. I don't know what word to use because Netherlands said we mustn't call them an associate. Uh, it makes that gap bigger. So I think on, on slower, lower pitches, the, the gap is, is smaller. And then on these flat tracks like Harare Sports Club, and I mean, you guys are going to tell me, are we going to get flat tracks in India? That gap widens. And I don't want Netherlands to get to the World Cup and lose nine out of nine. I don't think it will happen. Uh, I think they could push Afghanistan, Bangladesh, uh, maybe even South Africa. Hey, they beat them. They beat them at the T20 World Cup. Um, but yeah, I mean, you guys will know. Are we going to get flat pitches? It's unlikely, I think, because that's what we were expecting before the 2019 World Cup. Also, when England had started scoring all those 400 plus totals, but yeah, I think a couple of captains had also said before that World Cup that when the pressure increases, the t- the totals also go down those big totals are not chased anymore. And I think the pitches will also play a little bit of role in that. Also, the stadiums are not that big. Like, the, uh, the the ground dimensions in India are generally not that big. So, like, given all that you've said, it looks like it might help Netherlands at least compete with the other teams. Yeah, look, I think they'll certainly compete because they're a, they're a very committed, dedicated side. And they train hard, right? Like, they, they've got all the aspects going for them. So, I think they will compete whether they'll win games, we'll have to wait and see. So, like, uh, just like taking it into the bigger, the biggest story, arguably from the World Cup, right? Like, apart from uh, the fact that like the West Indies lost to Super Overs, the fact that they crashed out, I, I, I can't d- decide what is wrong with this team apart from just looking at it and knowing something is wrong, right? It's one of those like something feels off. The energy, the uh, I don't know numerology, whatever you want to call it, something just feels off with this team, and it's been off since 2019. Right, since yeah, uh, and uh, even after that, the 2020 World Cup, which took place in Dubai, uh, Sharjah, etc., that was kind of weird. Last year, they didn't even qualify. I, I I don't know where to start dissecting with this team, right? Like, where has it gone wrong? Because I hope is a brilliant talent, and I think he's like one of the leading scorers in the now defunct Super League, right? Like, he's done really well. And yeah, absolutely. Why is the team not able to rally around him? Because it's not like. Individually, there is quality there. Yeah, I think that's the big dilemma, right? Because even watching them, Alzari Joseph is a great bowler. Jason Holder is a good all-rounder. Nicholas Puran had a really good World Cup qualifying tournament. He scored two hundreds, and they were good hundreds, you know, quick hundreds as well. The, the couple of disappointing things that I can really pick out is that they their opening pair wasn't settled, so they ended up pushing Johnson Charles at number three, even though he's an opener, because at the beginning Chamar Brooks was injured. Or ill, I think, actually. Everybody was ill at some point in that tournament. So then you had Johnson Charles batting at three, which was the first time in his career he'd batted at three. It sort of worked, but then they ended up using him as an opener and that messed with the opening combination. And then Kyle Mayers had a hamstring injury. So that's a few things that that really kind of let them down. On the other side of the batting, Rothman Powell had a terrible tournament. He threw his wicket away twice. Then he was dropped under the pretense of rebalancing the side. And I just don't know if, if he took his role as vice-captain and as the finisher of the innings as seriously as they required him to. So that was a kind of mismatch. Their fielding was terrible. They dropped 10 catches in the group stage alone. Then they went to the Super Sixes and dropped more catches. So there they didn't. There, there definitely wasn't a commitment to fielding. And some of them were simple catches. Like, some of them really should have been taken. Then they were put under pressure in the field. So sides were running easy twos and threes against them. I feel sorry for Darren Sammy because, you know, he kind of inherited the side, has to put them right very quickly. Their only fixtures before the World Cup qualifiers was were in Dubai against the UAE. And that's not really good preparation for Zimbabwe. So they didn't really have excellent preparation. They were missing six of their first choice squad because those guys had come back from the IPL. All of that set them up to come to Zimbabwe, but undercooked. And then a really funny thing happened in the start of the tournament because Carl Hooper, who's the assistant coach, gave a press conference and said that he found the situation the West Indies were in to be really distressing. And when Jason Holder was asked about it, he said, oh no, we don't listen to any outside noise. To which he was interrupted and told, hey, hang on, buddy. This guy's actually your assistant coach. He's inside. And Jason Holder was like, oh, okay, well, I hadn't heard him say that. And he just got the sense like communications lacking something's not right. To be honest with you, I didn't even think they were that upset when when they crashed out. You know, 
you saw um, Akil Hussein when they lost to Zimbabwe. Again, again, they should have won. Chasing 268. Zimbabwe come from nowhere to win the game, buoyed by this amazing Harare Sports Club crowd. At the end of the match, Akil Hussein down on his haunches, inconsolable. Sean Williams had to lift him up off the floor. And he was the one player who showed real distress. The rest of them, I think, were like, oh, well, we haven't done it. It's kind of sad. Anyway, let's move on kind of thing. I just didn't see that it sunk in, you know, two-time champions, World Cup participants from 1975 who are not going to be there. And Sri Lanka were the complete opposite. When I saw them, everyone from Chris Silverwood, Dustin Sharnika, all their players were saying, we fully understand. We are former champions. We are full members. We found ourselves here in Zimbabwe playing World Cup qualifiers. We cannot leave here without a World Cup place. We can't. And they got it. And they played like they got it. You saw them clinical every single game, bowled out all their opposition, most of the time inside 40 overs, chased down total, scored big runs. They were really, really, they were what I wanted West Indies to be. At the same time, if West Indies and Sri Lanka had gone through, that whole tournament would have just been a waste of time because you want to see other things happen, right? You want to see shock results. We want to see someone like Netherlands who finished bottom of the World Cup Super League with three wins from 21, which is really terrible, get to the World Cup. So, yeah, West Indies is a big story and really my concerns for them are, are huge. And what I'm hearing behind the scenes is that a lot of it is... Um, based on, you know, they're obviously not one nation. They're playing as different countries, different islands. There's a, a lot going on behind the scenes in terms of whether it's regional politics or, or that sort of stuff. I think it's difficult in an era of leagues, and I want to come back to the leagues because I sound like I have a problem with leagues, don't I? But it's like they, they're not, it's hard to get cohesiveness. What do you guys think? Do you have a problem with leagues? I, Does it matter I, I, I think... if we do? <laughs> <laughs> no, you need a setup where your players also feel secure, right? And uh, yeah, West Indies do end up like my, at least the way I, I I look at it. You have uh, West Indies playing a lot many leagues because like it's also like a source of revenue. It's also it also lets them practice their game wherever they want to play, right? Like it gives and just because the West Indies board is not able to put its things together, it doesn't mean the players themselves should have their careers suffer. And like the long term. Uh, problem of that is there's no cohesion in the national side. You can't even say agenda. Everybody is pursuing a career for themselves, right? And you can't blame them for it. Yeah, yeah. And I think, look, there, there are some changes. Like, they've got a new director of cricket. So, maybe that's going to at least uh, formulate a strategy that they can work under. And, of course, they're co-hosts of the T20 World Cup in 2024. So, number one, they won't have to qualify. So, that's good. Um, but number two, I think that they will maybe use that event as some sort of unifying spark. And I just want to have a word on the USA, who are also co-hosts of that event, the other co-hosts. And I watched them lose every game, which was not good. Their entire squad was struck down by some sort of illness throughout the tournament. So you had Aaron Jones, the vice captain, struggling to breathe at one point. Everybody was coughing and splattering and whatever. That team is supremely talented. They've got some incredible players. I know that losing every game doesn't, doesn't fit that what I'm saying here. But I think if they get it together, and we've been saying this for years, but the U.S. is definitely the next big market for cricket. I, I could see it. Guys like Simon Kamala, he's 19 years old. He scored the fastest T20 century by a U.S. player. He's really, really talented. He's mature. He seems to know what's going for him. He's playing in the major league now alongside some big international names. I think he could become one of the absolute players to watch there. Ali Khan, he's got a, a very interesting personality in that he was suspended from the first two matches for these exuberant celebrations against Jersey. Played his first match, took a wicket, immediately pulled out a piece of tape and put it across his mouth in celebration. And then went off the field with an illness never to return until three games later. It was bizarre, but he's a really good bowler. He swings the ball. The conditions were also quite helpful early morning in Harare. I just feel like in that region, the what should we call it, the Western Hemisphere, West Indies and USA in the next year or two could become forces to watch. Maybe I'm completely Since wrong. we were talking about them earlier, what really surprises me is that they were the one of the best teams in the white ball formats. And now it's kind of reversed. Yeah. They are not the, one of the best teams in tests, but at home, they, they are not easy to beat. And it's instead in the white ball formats, they have just plunged to levels that were not known to West Indies cricket. 
what I'm really curious yeah. to know about is, despite the fact that so many of their players play around the world in all these leagues, and they also score a lot of runs and take all those wickets there, how much time do they get to spend as a team together, let's say before a big tournament like a World Cup qualifier or the big tournament like uh, T20 World Cup coming up next year? I don't know. Yeah, that's the challenge. I mean, this time, as I said, six of them were missing from the, that series against the UAE. They thumped the UAE and the UAE also went through the tournament unbeaten. Oh, not unbeaten, without a win. They went through the tournament without a win until that last game against the USA, which was the Wooden Spoon playoff, and they won by one run. Uh, it was uh, all kinds of interesting things, you know, to watch these two teams that hadn't won a game competing all the way to the end. But that, I don't think that was ideal preparation for West Indies. I don't think that their big-name league players like Mayers, Jason Holder, Rothman Powell to an extent, that they're not spending enough time with the younger players. And so there's not a lot of knowledge transfer going on. Uh, obviously, a change in coach, which was quite recent, that's also going to take some time. Because I must say, I watched West Indies against South Africa earlier this year, and they lost the Test Series, drew the one-day series, and won the T20s. They were actually looking pretty good, to be honest. Like, there were some nice performances. You got the sense that there was a little bit of cohesion. And then just a few months later, they completely implode at the World Cup qualifier. So I feel like if the three of us try to solve West Indies problems, uh, it's going to be really tough to do it on this podcast. But they definitely, they have to start looking at, at how they can get it together. And, and that's why I think they are the, the team we look at when we talk about leagues and what leagues are doing to bilateral and international cricket, that's the kind of prime example because it's really created a system that is, I guess, quite weak in the West Indies structures. And yeah, we'll have to kind of see how or if they can recover from that. One of the other things that uh, did not make sense to me personally was that was about the team selections even before this tournament had started. I think when a player like Shimron Etmeyer is there in the vicinity of the squad, if it's a fitness issue, of course, you can get it sorted. He's not 40 or anything. And from the limited information we have, we know that the chief selector had said that since some of the players had done well in South Africa before this tournament, they decided to stick with those instead of bringing Hetmeyer back. I think if though a World Cup qualification is on the line, you need to have your absolute best players who have exposure from around the world. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with you completely. And... You know, West Indies were not the only team guilty of some really strange team selection. I just want to mention Ireland because Ireland severely underperformed at this tournament. They ended up seventh. They didn't make the Super Sixes. And some of their team selection was very, very strange. They left Curtis Kampfer out of the first match, picked him for the second game where he scored 100. They didn't play PJ Moore at all, who's Zimbabwean-born, who's played in Zimbabwe for the bulk of his career and knows the conditions better than anyone. They selected Ben White based on test match performances in Sri Lanka. He got absolutely pumped the first couple of games. Then they changed the spinner and ended up doing a little bit better. So they, they left out Josh Little towards the end. Ireland just seemed to be in a complete mess. And I, I realise they're not a team with the reputation of West Indies, but to see them crash out in that fashion, they're also a full member, remember that. And just to watch their decline over the last maybe six or eight months, it's really concerning. They're also missing out on that massive World Cup participation fee. It's a million dollars. West Indies are missing out on that too. Zimbabwe are missing out on that. So really the, the, the focus on how you qualify for a World Cup is so, so important. And let's just say the next World Cup will be different. It's 14 teams. There won't be a Super League. It'll be based on rankings, which boggles my mind because are people going to play enough bilateral cricket to get good enough rankings that we can judge them on that? And then there'll also be a qualifier. So uh, I just think one day cricket is in a place where somebody's got to take control and say, this is how it's going to operate from now on. Otherwise, we're going to end up in a situation where it's just sort of left to kind of dwindle away on its own. And, and that'll be really sad because you can see to these countries, Nepal, a great example, how much it means to play 50 over cricket, to build an innings, to bowl a quarter of 10 overs, to be out in the field all day. T20 cricket's great and fun. But this is a real test of their skills because they don't play test cricket. And I don't want to take that away from them. Maybe I should run the World Cricket Committee. No, so I just wanted to like take your closing thoughts on it, right? Uh, like just building on what you said, uh, like the general consensus is that, oh, like ODI cricket is dying and like the World Cup qualifiers is, ha is happening at the same time as the Ashes right now, right? 
and uh, despite the fact that like the ash is getting top billing and it's it is entertaining it is fun to watch uh, baseball and uh, padball uh, have at it this tournament has been very good like it's been highly entertaining crowds have turned up as you said and it shows that there is a hunger to play odi cricket despite the fact that everybody is saying that oh no t20 cricket is the future how do we go forward from here like uh, or how do the powers that be build momentum from here going forward because this is clearly not a dying format this is there's a hunger for it it is highly entertaining we like we're seeing super overs we're seeing upsets right and uh, it's building up into a good world cup going forward but what should the plan be for 2027 just for the tournament as a whole yes it's a great that you asked this question now because the icc is actually having the agm in durban as we speak so i hope that somebody is listening to us and one of the decisions that will be taken at that agm is the format of the world cup cricket league 2 which is where Netherlands, Nepal, Canada, Namibia, UAE, USA and two other teams, Scotland and Ireland I suppose, not Ireland, maybe Ireland, I'm not sure. I'm going to play for the next World Cup. So so that World Cup cricket league 2 is really competitive. The last cycle they played 36 matches and they play them in triangular series. So, you know, the two countries go off to Namibia, they have a triangular, you play six matches each and then you take the points from that. I like that format. I think it it gives uh, exposure to different opposition and it also gives them exposure to various different types of conditions so i hope that they keep that in a similar structure it's eight teams in the world cup cricket league 2 and the top 2 i assume would qualify for the world cup and then there'll be a world cup qualifier as well based on rankings as we were saying i think that's imperative it has to happen we have to see fixtures but in terms of what you do with with the ODI format going forward i mean we saw the mcc committee this week recommend that bilateral ODIs are massively scaled down after 2027 and that's the date of our next world cup i suppose i'm inclined to agree with that to some degree but i do think for countries below the top 8 in the world i'm not even going to say for for countries below full members because we know zimbabwe ireland afghanistan don't play a lot of test cricket playing one day cricket is very important but not just playing one day cricket they need to be playing australia england south africa india And I'll tell you why because the Netherlands who we've already mentioned they only won 3 out of 24 games in that World Cup Super League. It was really demoralizing and devastating for them, but they said through playing these different countries, England scored 499 runs against them. They still think that game was valuable because they got better. And we can see that they've got better in the fact that they've qualified for the World Cup. I would say if it was up to me, the World Cup Super League must be resurrected. It it has to be played. You've got to almost force big countries to go and play the Zimbabwe's, the Afghanistan's, the Ireland's because that's how they get better. We've got to find a way of integrating World Cup Cricket League 2 and the World Cup Super League so that these teams are playing each other because that's also how they're going to get better. And for that to happen, I don't know. I think we have to we have to maybe find windows for leagues that leave enough time for bilateral cricket. And I feel like I'm now talking like a fiction writer. because how is that going to happen like how are we how are we going to do that but it's very important and i really think it needs to happen it it's not you know one of the big themes that came out of the world cup qualifiers was the disappointment from everyone that the world cup is only 10 teams and uh, max o'dowd the dutch opener was saying cricket is the only sport that the world cup has got smaller over time we know it's going to get bigger but if you look at the rugby world cup which is happening later this year There are loads of teams playing there. We see we see big upsets. Japan beat South Africa at the 2019 Rugby World Cup. It was a massive upset. So you see football. The next football World Cup will be 48 teams. That's a lot of teams. But cricket, we we don't seem to be expanding. And to me, that's a real concern. It's a game that we see picking up in various places. Nepal. Millions of people are watching cricket in Nepal. They love their team. They're so passionate. Zimbabwe is another example. We spoke about so many teams here who. don't get airtime on on a lot of platforms i mean the dutch win barely made the news in the netherlands because they're busy talking about max verstappen and psv eindhoven and one of their their tennis players who's doing well at wimbledon so i just think that uh, we need to grow the game i feel strongly about it we need to find room for bilateral cricket and this is why i suppose we're talking on a podcast and not running the icc growing the game i think certainly is important one small example is look at look at what Afghanistan just did in Bangladesh yeah. a full strength yeah. Bangladesh squad and Afghanistan won the first two ODIs they were mainly known as yeah. this T20 force for the last few years in a uh 
in world cricket and now they have beaten bangladesh at home which many big teams have not been able to do in the last 5 or 7 years so yeah the big challenge is how do you make it all happen how do you make it fit in the calendar how do you make money out of it for those we relying on you i don't know how we make money out of it uh, i'll tell you that in zimbabwe eventually they threw the gates open uh, the final was free most group matches not involving zimbabwe were free people could just turn up and enjoy the cricket and yeah that is a challenge how do we make money out of these things but also um in terms of a calendar a year seems like too short right it almost feels like we have to diarize things over 3 or 4 years because we can't fit everything into one year anymore and maybe do you think we can convince the IPL to maybe run once every second year oh they're thinking of twice a year by the way yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so no 100% not good luck with anything about IPL like they're not even playing each other twice because uh, they're worried about it extending from beyond two and a half months but they want to make it three months and then twice a year so <laughs> to try and fit bilateral into that will be a like it it feels like bilateral cricket is like the new twitter with like a rate limit and like uh, everybody is looking for the threads competitor which could be t20s who knows i haven't joined threads yet but i will maybe do join before it dies <laughs> All right that brings us to the end of this episode stump mike on ESPN 54 we have been catching up after almost 2 3 or 4 weeks has it been in between a lot happened a cricketer retired came back the world cup qualifiers ended the ashes started there's a long gap between these two tests now after 2-1 before the next episode we won't take as long keep listening on spotify apple podcast google podcast wherever you do and costum and i will come back soon Hopefully, with more experts, we'll catch up on the rest of the action. Thank you for joining in.